Welcome to Connect the Dots podcast, presented by Nine Dots and hosted by Jeffrey Klein. We explore stories of success and their multitude of dots that are connected along the way. Sharing these stories, our aim is to provide some context to the path of success, which is often paved with obstacles, challenges, victories, and celebrations. Thank you for listening. Here is your host, Jeffrey. Thanks again for listening. This episode is a lot of fun, which isn't surprising as we have a bona fide comedian, Chet Harding, who brings not only a lot of humor, but a lot of value on how one should really follow their dreams to do what they love. Enjoy listening. Our guest today is Chet Harding, a co-founder and owner of Improv Asylum, as well as Laugh Boston and Asylum Gaming and Esports. In addition to acting, writing, directing, and producing, he has also created Improv Asylum's global corporate training program, working with companies and organizations like Google, Harvard Business School, Red Bull, and Fidelity. He co-wrote, directed, and acted in the Emmy-nominated Improv Asylum's Vanity Project, and in his downtime, he coaches his kids' sports teams. Welcome, Mr. Chet Harding. Ah, well, thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, Great to have you. So we're going to start in the beginning. Where were you born, and what did your parents do for a living? Ah, okay. So I was born in Beverly, Massachusetts, uh, and kind of grew up in that area. My dad... Uh, worked for a um, like a lobbying company. First, he was a general manager of a restaurant, and then he uh, worked at uh, National Association of Manufacturers. And then my mom uh, was a uh, state. She was a, a teacher, but um, she was a stay-at-home mom for most of our growing up. And then um, and then took a job in accounts receiving or accounts receivables. I don't know. One of the one of those two. However, whatever you one call of, that. One of those receiving things. Exactly. Collecting yeah. money. Collecting money. <laughs> That's right. She was the enforcer. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. It was the nickname we had for my stepmother. Oh, there you go. Uh, as a kid, what did you want? To, you know, when you're a little kid, we all say we want to grow up and be something. What was it that you wanted to be when you grew up? Uh, well, you know, I think a combination of things. I think uh, I was huge into sports, so uh, you know, a professional athlete of any kind would have been right up there. Um, particularly probably baseball. Um, but also, uh, you know, it's funny I ended up in comedy because sort of all along I love the idea of making people laugh. And uh, although I didn't necessarily think, oh, I'm going to grow up and be a comedian, um, it that kind of appealed to me as well. I just love the idea of laughing and making people laugh. So, Fantastic. Was there, was there a time when you were growing up where you learned that particular lesson that had impact, whether it was about how to make people laugh or that what happens when you do make people laugh? Um, you know, I think it's probably, you know, I had a huge influence with my grandfather. He lived in the same town that we did, which is, uh, which is near Beverly. It's called Wenham. It's a small, small town in the North shore of Massachusetts. And, uh, he was a guidance counselor and a teacher by trade. So he was pretty gregarious and pretty, um, a good joke teller. Although I, I wouldn't say I'm a great joke teller as much as I do comedy because it's more improv and written sketch comedy, more scenarios than it is joke telling. But, uh, there's something kind of magical about him and, and he, he was in many ways, um, even more of a, of a dad than my dad, not that my dad wasn't a dad to me, but more, he was more influential. And I think seeing how he could capture an audience and how it made me feel when he made me laugh. And if I could make him laugh. Um, and then I think both my, my mom and my dad, although there were not, you know, I just told you what they did for a living. They, they would, those wouldn't be considered creative pursuits. Uh, they were pretty, uh, pretty creative and pretty nurturing when it came to, that sort of stuff. So there was no real one lesson that I learned necessarily other than 
I really liked the idea of, of making people laugh and it always made me kind of feel good. And I found my niche in the family that way of being the funny one. So were you also kind of the, the class clown in school? Well, <laughs> it's funny. So I usually say, cause I get asked that every now and then, uh, that uh, I wasn't the class clown, but I was the class comedian. And I think there's a difference because <laughs> the class clown would do like, you know, eat dirt to make you laugh. <laughs> I would never do that. Uh, but I would more like make a joke or uh, kind of make a comment or imitate somebody or like imitate my parents or doing something like that to make people laugh. So, you know, I wasn't I wasn't getting thrown in the principal's office either uh, for the <laughs> for doing stunts or anything. So oh, I, I wasn't the, uh, the that kind of a comedian. Right. But uh, but yes, I definitely uh, the kind of gentler uh, comedian. Exactly. Exactly. You didn't have to worry about things exploding by you. And you mentioned your grandfather. Is, is that who I was going to ask who you looked up to or their role models growing up, whether in comedy or, you know, just in life in general? Yeah, I'd say he's 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 it. Um, you know, he uh, he was hugely influential. And, you know, I, I did. It's not like I went uh, even to school or to college or anything to, to do to do comedy. You know, he but he was um, he was very nurturing in terms of you know, getting a good education and trying to get into a good school. And, uh, particularly I think because of his background as a guidance counselor, mm -hmm. but he also, um, when he was, I think he was like 10 at the time, uh, his father, uh, was diagnosed with, um, well, he wasn't really diagnosed. I just thought he had, a, he had an issue, but, um, he had epilepsy. And so, um, they, back then the, the, the kind of cure for that was to have you committed. And so my great grandmother was going to have him committed. He found out about it and he left the family. So my, my grandfather at age 10 sort of took on the role of patriarch in the family with, uh, with a couple of younger sisters, uh, and a younger brother who was, uh, mentally disabled, uh, to kind of help provide money for the family and uh, kind of help be that patriarchal figure. So he sort of picked himself up out of, uh, you know, a tough situation, and made and made, you know, and, and, and was great. And so I uh, sort of knowing that um, he was always a role model to me of, of, of working hard and, and be doing the right thing and, and all that. And it's funny because I think he influenced me to become to go into comedy and to kind of pursue my dreams and, and, and go ahead and take some risks. Um, and at the same time, so my brother is uh, won the Pulitzer Prize in, in fiction. Uh, and wow. the story is based off of or, you know, influenced by uh, my grandfather when he when he died, uh, kind of almost rethinking and reimagining his relationship with his father. So my grandfather was pretty influential for both of us, uh, wow. as it turns out. So, yeah. And, and you talk about the story of your grandfather and kind of the, you know, the circumstances that really defined his life. Can you think of a particular defining moment in kind of your early years that really influenced, you know, your life? Um. I don't know. I mean, I was, uh, I was pretty, you know, I had a pretty good childhood and, uh, although my parents ended up getting separated and ultimately divorced. So I think that had some role in, in shaping who I am. And I think, you know, comedy, uh, sort of helped through that or, or, you know, making people laugh and, you know, not, they say sometimes that, uh, comedy is to mask pain or whatever it comes from a place of pain. And it really wasn't that. Um, but I think it's more, you know, I, I had a good set of friends, and and uh, and so I can't really think of one defining moment um, that comes to to mind, other than just having great friends and a great family and support. And even even though my my own parents went through ultimately uh, separation and divorce, and that didn't really happen until I was in high school anyway, um, they were both individually there for their kids too. So, gotcha. What was your first paying job? Um, well, my first paying job, 
uh, was sort of under the table uh, cleaning at a restaurant off hours and then like prepping, sort of prepping some food. So it was definitely And did you bring comedy books. to that role? <laughs> <laughs> sort of head to uh, some of the stuff he found and had to deal with. Uh, yeah, I guess I find, you know, and I think that some of that may have shaped me because then after that, I worked in a grocery store for a while. I worked as a bag, bagging groceries, uh, worked in the deli. And like the different types of people that you meet um, always made me laugh, you know, just the different personalities. And after that, I worked at uh, Cranes Beach, which is up in the North Shore as well uh, on the landscaping crew because it's, there's a big property up there as well by the trustees of reservations. And, and some of the you know people that work there year-round are very um, colorful, let's put it that way, uh, in terms of their language and, and their belief system and all that. So I don't know. I think all of those, uh, all of those experiences from you know starting sort of being paid under the table at age 13 to, to, to clean all the way through, uh, through you know, the college odd job in the summer and um, – and in the winter, uh, shaped, you know, had nothing to do with what I was going into in terms of the skill set that you needed other than mm-hmm. of wide variety of people to meet and just knowing basically what, you know, what people find interesting, what they find funny, what they, you know, th- their outlook on life and how I found that to be funny. So now I know you went to this amazingly prestigious, uh, college, yes. Amherst college. <laughs> uh, I've That's heard right. Of it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did that shape your early career? Well, that's, uh, was there, you know, was there a think, major, you know, comedian? Well, it's funny. No, <laughs> no, they don't have that there. I think no, you could yeah. probably do that at Hampshire, uh, which is nearby, <laughs> but, but not at Amherst. Um, well, I think the great thing about Amherst college is, is that it's a liberal arts school. And so it teaches you how to think and how to sort of, um, apply critical thinking skills to, which I think can be applied in a number of areas. I mean, certainly in business and you know, all kinds of areas, but also, also in the realm of being creative, in the realm of writing, in the realm of, you know, coming up with ideas. Um, so I think they definitely laid the foundation for that. It is funny though. So they do have a theater major there, right? So you can, you can, uh, major in theater. And so did you, I don't No, No, so I, I didn't. Your, what was, was your major? So I was a political science major and then I designed a major called environmental economics and law. So that is not funny stuff I in there. Know. It doesn't sound particularly humorous. <laughs> no. No. And it's funny because they, uh, Amherst College, and this is a few years ago, um, they were celebrating some anniversary of the, the theater department. And so they contacted me to come back because they were going to be able to meet students and talk to them and all that. And I was like, you know, I'll definitely come back and talk about, you know, talk about and talk about what it was like, what it is like to work in the realm of theater and arts and all that. But you do know I didn't take one class of theater in Amherst. <laughs> But, but, but you so, were, am I correct that you were part of an improv troupe at Amherst? I, that's not correct either. That's not correct. And a lot of people think that I was, yeah, because there's a great, I, I there is that. a great group called Mr. Gads. Yes. Um, and, uh, did they, you, so uh, did you have an interest? Did you ever try out for it? I did not. I didn't. So I did stand up comedy when I was at Amherst college. Um, I did it in the, and actually from Amherst college, uh, Todd Brandt. So he was a, a guy who was a couple years older than I, you know, he thought I was kind of funny and there was a competition coming around at UMass Amherst, which is going to right down the street from Amherst college. And, uh, he basically said, you know, you're, you're going to sign up for that competition <laughs> or I'm going to sign you up. And he literally called them to sign me up. So, and at the time I only had to put together about three minutes of material. So I thought, well, this is nerve wracking, but I could probably put together three minutes of material. And so I did, I did well there. And then in that, in that competition, I did, I did well. And then in the summer, there was a competition in Boston, and I came in second in it. So, um, so that set me up to start doing gigs. So I, I never really went through, like, 
the brutal, brutal open mic nights of like doing that for a mm-hmm. year. You know, I just sort of lucked out and, and had a couple competitions come my way that I did well in, and that just set me up for more. So, so I ended up doing stand up comedy all, all through college. I did it at, at actually at all five colleges. I, wow. I did uh, stand up, and um, probably one of my best. You know, still, <laughs> maybe this is a sad comment on where I am now, <laughs> but uh, one of my one of my best memories. If you talk about it, even just in, in an individual moment, I think that maybe shaped things. Is I did. Someone at Mount Holyoke, which is also a, a nearby school to Amherst, uh, had heard that I did comedy. And so she reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we have this Friday night series. Would you do uh, the Friday night series? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And, the, you know, then I found out it paid like, I don't know, 500 to to $1,000 or something in, in college, you know. That's a lot of money. I was like, I, that's a lot of money, you know. So I was like, I'll definitely do of, it. A lot like, of Antonio's well, pizza. A lot of uh, with extra toppings. I mean, you know, the whole nine yards. So, uh, so she asked, you know, she said, you know, you have to fill an hour, and I was like, well, <laughs> I can do that, and I really up to that time had about ten minutes of material. So uh, it was, it was, I think that that experience of then figuring out over the course of, I think it was probably you know two weeks to a month that I had that I was booked in advance, coming up with fifty more material, fifty more minutes of material. Um, and then it went extremely well. It, it, it crushed. It did really well. I mean, probably because I was the same age as the audience and some of the things I was talking about were similar that they were going through. So it's just a good setup for, for success that that moment I think is when it kicked in like, Oh man, this could be, if I could do this and get paid, which is what I was doing, uh, this would be crazy. So, and was that the moment you kind of said, you know, maybe I should pursue this comedy thing? Uh, yeah, it certainly was in the back of my head that like, man, this could be, this could be cool at at, at the very least as a hobby, but, um, but maybe this would be something that I could do for a living. And so, you know, it's interesting. I I was all set to go to law school. I mean, I applied and getting into law school and, um, I was also a resident counselor at Amherst college and, and someone came in, uh, from the office of career counseling, like when we were back during the break to like get a little bit of extra training, whatever, and said, oh, and by the way, just as a reminder, today is the uh, the last day to get um, applications in for Lear Burnett, which is an advertising agency. You know, in the back of my head, I was like, oh man, I don't know if I'm ready for law school. I love comedy and creativity and ad agency kind of seems like it's the blend of sort of doing something serious that pays well and that also taps into creativity. So I whipped together a resume because I didn't have one because I, uh, I was already planning to go into law school and got an interview and I and ended up getting a job offer. And so did that and moved out to Chicago. And that's where I got involved with Second City, um, which is, you know, he, very well-known improvisational sure. and sketch comedy theater. Um, and, and that's sort of exactly tons yeah. of people from SNL. And, you know, I, and when I was there, when I first moved out, you know, people on that main stage were Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, Tina Fey, Rachel Dratch. I mean, just these, you know, powerhouses. Um, and so that sort of influenced me as well as that maybe I can do this. So it started as kind of a, a little bit of a thing on the side, but I started getting more and more success with it. Um, and then ultimately, when I moved back to Boston, it was to still for advertising, become Polaroid's advertising director. But um, I had a great director at Second City named Mick Napier, and he's, he's certainly very well known in the improv world, who is just amazing. And, um, you know, at the same time, I got the offer to, to become Polaroid's advertising director. Um, I got an offer to audition for uh, for Second City. And so it was this big struggle of like, well, what do I do? Because the Second City road is one that you know, you don't get paid well until you make it big. Right. Um, and then, or I have this great job offer that I could, I could make money at. And he, he was great to say, you know, kind of pulled me aside and said, it sounds like for you and your family moving to Boston and taking that job is, is what you need to do right now. But if you ever want to come back and, and audition for second city, I'll make sure you get a slot and whatever you do, don't stop doing what this, this art form. 
So and that, so that and kind that, of. So you at this point, you're, you and you had already worked at Leo Burnett, so yep. you weren't you weren't fully co- committed to being a, co- a full time comedian. No, no, and it is funny because you know a, a lot of people say, oh, you just throw, you know jump off the cliff and just go for right. it. If that's what you like to do. Do you, rec- do you recommend and that? So, <laughs> well, I, it's it worked for some people. It certainly has worked for some people. I think I think I think my bigger thing is definitely keep following what you want to do, or what you love to do, and whether that's throwing yourself off the cliff and doing it and seeing if it works, or whether it's uh, you know I think it just comes down to you, you, the individual. Because for me, you know, I was married. I I, I wanted to be able to afford things. I didn't want to have to have my wife deal with me touring around doing stand-up comedy and, and barely getting by and all that. So, um, so I sort of kept one foot in the corporate world and one foot in the, uh, in the creative world. And, you know, when we opened up Improv Asylum, I mean, that was a direct, directly from Mick Napier in, in Second City, kind of in the back of my head saying, you know, man, Boston's a huge comedy town. It doesn't mean like this art form like Second City. If anybody did it, you know, th- that's my business mind now taking over as well. It might also be a success. It would also give me the, the chance to perform. And so, um, you know, that, that sort of led me to meeting up with a couple other guys and, and, you know, being young enough, smart enough and stupid enough all at the same <laughs> time to, to kind of take on a small business loan and sign on a long-term lease and, and, and start this thing off. But, um, it was more, you know, driven by that idea of, and I was still, so the first two years I was still Polaroid's advertising director. And so it was more like, you know, I was pulling those investment banker type of hours of 120, right, wow. you know, hours, a, hours a week and traveling and doing all that. But it was because half of that was for something that I loved and was passionate about. Not that I didn't like advertising, but I loved, you know, the, the stuff I was doing in comedy. And then from there, you know, it sort of took off. So I still, when I jumped, it was off a big hill, but not a cliff, right. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so, and it's funny, I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk who talks about the side hustle and, and kind of, you know, people, a lot of entrepreneurs these days seem to be doing things on the side while they still have their day job until yep, yep. Th- their real passion can, yeah, until you can kind of hit critical mass almost. Yeah. 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 But it's interesting because some people will tell you, well, you know, even if you, you know, watch Shark Tank or whatever, they're like, well, if you get something, you know, you got to put everything into this. You got to right. be the entrepreneur. And, you gotta, and I think, you know, to me, it just is more, I guess you can't sort of give it half the effort. So I do agree with that. And I think, you know, for me, when I was younger, I had enough energy to say, well, I'm going to give both full effort. Right. Um, and then see where, see where it happens. So a lot of effort. <laughs> Is there someone that you know you've met that sort of changed the course of your life along that path? Um, well, you know, I think I mentioned Mick Napier before. Um, he's a he's a uh, interesting character and a great guy, and I think uh, and just an amazing director. So here, here's something anybody listening that if you want to get into the realm of comedy or improv, if you ever get a chance to take a workshop with him or directing with him, Mick Napier is he's the man we'll or the person, should I say? We'll put be, that in the uh, show notes so people have exactly those exactly. Uh, he, um, so, and he's written a couple books on improv as well. So he, I think the reason why he was so influential is he was great at, you know, push, even from a performing standpoint, you know, there's stuff that I could do when I was younger, uh, when I was first starting out that I knew would get a laugh. And so he was great at, at sort of pushing you past that and past your comfort zone to be able to find even more things that you could do. Um, to kind of like instead of just resting on, oh, I know this would work, is to try to figure out, uh, you know, pushing you past that and past that. And then also be, the, the fact that he pulled me aside and said, hey, I know that you're worried about this. You know, I think you'd do well in this audition, um, but it seems like, you know, it seems like you, you need to go to Boston. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of almost, you know, the, the idea of saying, hey, I will make sure if you ever come back, 
if you ever want to come back and do it, I will make sure you get that slot. Um, and, and really have, freed me up to do it. Did you, you ever? Know? Did you ever go back? Did you ever consider going back? I didn't. I didn't. It's funny. To this day, I still have the letter inviting me, uh, almost as a reminder of uh, of because I, I think it would have been a, a completely different track, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and in many ways, you know, the track that I have now, now that I'm a, a little bit older and sort of, you know, not necessarily outside the window of being on Saturday Night Live or doing something like that, but you know, sort of, sort of on the uh, that, that window shutting, you know, right. uh, if it's not already shut and sealed. Uh, but I now have a business and a theater and, you know, I still get to perform and still get, you know, we, we produced a TV show, which not a lot of people are able to do. So from the owning side of things or running a company, it's been great. You know, it's provided my living. And I think had I gone the other route, had I gone the second city route, it, it, I don't know where it would have ended up, but it would be more along that actor track of auditioning and moving to New York or LA and trying to make it onto a TV show and all of that. And, and, and that's, uh, that's a tough road, you know, it's a tough road. One that I, I think I would have, would have, it would have been interesting to do. So I'm not saying I wouldn't have liked to do it. Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes I have thought, Oh man, it would have been nice to do that, but I can't, or I, I can't really pursue that because I've got this business. Um, so, you know, but anyway, that, that letter I still have kind of as a reminder of both the idea of, you know, this letter was influential. It was kind of a turning moment of what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? And, and I chose to, you know, to, uh, to, to move back to Boston, both for family and for economic reasons, but also the letter there to remind me, don't stop doing what you love to do because you had an opportunity to maybe do it, um, in Chicago. So do it in Boston. Yeah. I think it's funny. I quote often, uh, John Lennon had a quote where it's, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. Yeah, totally. Sometimes, you know, the path we choose, we're trying to explore, like, how you decide to go one way or the other is, you know, not always up to, to you in one sense and is influenced by lots of different things. Is there, is there um, can you think of, like, the most surprising place you found yourself along the way, whether it was a job or a location or talking to someone? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, you know, this kind of delves into some of the corporate training that we do because, you know, which which is kind of, the you know, in many ways the result of being both in corporate America for a while and then also acting and directing and producing. You know, a lot of what I was noticing on stage about, particularly in improv, how we listen and work and build off each other and kind of create something that's better than any one of us would have come up with on our own versus some corporate scenarios where there's sometimes some negativity or not people not really listening to each other, sort of, yes, butting each other. Uh, it led to this idea of, Hey, you know, if we use the skill sets or taught the skill sets in the context of business, this could be a really powerful tool. And so that's kind of how we started out doing the, the corporate training. But that then has taken us places where you're like, this is crazy, you know, um, where, example, you know, I've been in, I've been in Finland, like in, in, in Finland, working with Nokia, where, I literally walked in. I was the only person that had English as a first language. Uh, there were people from all over the world there, but here we are in this in this like conference room in Finland, and I'm teaching all these people improv. And how you know, that's it's just great. like that's nuts, you know. Or uh, I was uh, in Turkey uh, with my business partner as well, uh, doing some training. Just like you know, I remember as we landed in Turkey, looking over it and being like, "Can you imagine we're in Turkey <laughs> right now because we make shit up for a living?" <laughs> you know, like it's just. It's it's crazy, you know. We've also worked with uh, I've worked with a women's leadership group in uh, from Kuwait uh, through Boston College, and we also we just finished our fourth or fifth uh, event we did. We've done this now every year for um, with Harvard Business School uh, with leaders from uh, Qatar. Wow. 
And uh, the first time we did it, um, they, it included a couple of members of the royal family and a couple of women with like full burqa, the, you know, the whole the whole uh, traditional dress uh, that they that they wear. And and thinking like this is this is interesting. You know, we're gonna have these people get up and improvise. And you know, culturally, you want to be sensitive to it, but also wondering like, oh, I don't know how much of a is this gonna work or not. And not only did it work, but they loved it. And since then, every single year we've been hired back. So it's just it's just. Uh, some of those things, and I think that's that can be really rewarding as well. It's not just teaching comedy, but more the idea of laughter, but also the idea of listening and connecting and trying to work together. Um, it's universal, you know, and it really. And so that's that's been great. Well, I wanted to follow up on that because you had me thinking about comedy and is comedy universal in the sense you were talking about cultural differences. Do you think something that's funny in one place is necessarily going to be funny in another? Are there certain things that will be funny no matter where you are? You know, a man slipping on a banana peel kind of. Yeah. Is that funny no matter where you <laughs> Always are? Always funny. Uh, I think there is some, I think, and that's one of the reasons why I think improv works when it works well, is uh, tapping into the human condition. We, you know, so I can't necessarily drop a cultural reference uh, uh, you know, about a, you know, I don't know, a pop singer in, in, in the U S if I'm performing in, uh, you know, in Turkey, you know, they, they might not even know the reference, but, but the idea of the struggles we all go through, uh, you know, liking someone who doesn't like you back, um, uh, awkward moment with a boss, you know, there, there's, there are a number of things that we can all tap into that, uh, that I do think are universal. Now, you're saying you've, you've got the opportunity to kind of go all these different places and really do what you love. Uh, was there a point where you've considered yourself, you know, a success? Like, you've gone into something that is very difficult, generally speaking, for people to, to have comedy be their vocation. Uh, do you consider yourself, at some point, you're like, you know, you've owned this business, you've had a certain amount of shows, you've been all over the place. You're like, you know, I, I'm a success. Uh, I guess, you know, I, I've never really thought about it that way as much as it is. It's, it's so interesting because I think, I'm doing what I love to do, uh, and yet it is work, you know, so, but, but I don't think of it as work either. It's just sort of, this is my life. So, you know, I guess I thought, uh, I'm not a failure. <laughs> I thought that like, well, this isn't failing. Um, but I don't know, I don't know about success other than certainly I think to, to walk in even now, uh, when I go into improv asylum on a Saturday night and realize that nobody in the crowd knows who I am because I'm not one of the main stage actors, you know, they didn't see me on stage. And yet, we're on our fifth show that night and it's jammed is, uh, is pretty, um, you know, it's not like it, it's, it's not like it, it, it's a sense of pride, but more like a oh, man, this is, this is great. And in many ways it doesn't need me anymore, you know, because when we first started out, heck I was like, you know, fixing the floor and helping <laughs> the staff and training the actors and doing every single show and like just doing everything, you know? And so without me, I felt like, well, this wouldn't happen without me. And, and now it's to the point where, like, well, I could certainly, you know, I could certainly walk away and this will still function. So, Have you thought about bringing it to other cities? I mean, we're talking about how, you know, their second city in Chicago and now we have the Improv Asylum. You know, have you ever thought about trying to expand it beyond? We have. Yeah, we have. And so we've done shows in New York that went really well, although um, it was with uh, kind of we didn't have our own space. So we did a kind of a sub agreement. And it did really, really well. Uh, and then uh, when that agreement ended, they then wanted about three times as much money to continue it. So we decided not to. But uh, but for that short period of about six months in New York, it was very successful. It was great. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I we would consider that again, although New York is tough because there's so many options out mm. there. 
we've done shows out in LA, but that was really more to try to get an agent to try to move some of our uh, movie and TV ideas ahead. And so that was successful because we get an agent, but that again, now, you know, UCB, which is another, uh, another, uh, great, uh, comedy theater, which has an Amherst college tie as well. I didn't know if, if you know that, uh, but Matt I Besser can. went to Matt Besser went to, uh, to Amherst college as well. And is only like a year older than I am, but I never knew him in Amherst. So, and I think also maybe not in Mr. Gadge, which is weird. But uh, so so they now have a branch out in L.A. Um, so people who want so to be in comedy should not do Mr. Gads and Amherst. Okay. <laughs> this is, this is the lesson. <laughs> shouldn't say that because they're great. They're great. It's just like I love their I shows. It, I love their shows. Yeah, I love and I've I've seen their shows and uh, and I've actually gone and done some workshops with them. They're great. Um, but I just I think when I went through Amherst, uh, there are a couple people in it that I thought this is going to sound bad, but I think they thought that they were funnier than they were, uh, and were kind of not snobbish about it, but sort of. Uh, I don't know, had that sort of air about it. And, I'm, and I was much more, the comedy I was doing was much more, not blue collar-esque, but just more about life and about rather than trying to, uh, I don't know, be snobbish about things. So anyway, <laughs> that's why I didn't try out for, for Mr. Gads at the time. And But they're great. Now I feel like I owe them uh, an apology. <laughs> we'll put a link in I'm talking and people can go. Uh, they're, they're fantastic. And, and, they're great. And they they are really, great. It's great that there's an opportunity for people who are interested in comedy to do it at a small college like Amherst. Oh, uh, completely. Uh, so I think completely. it's, it's, it's yep. a wonderful option for people. Yeah, so, well, it is funny how much, you know, because I do improv now that people figure that, that I was part of that or that I started. And it's funny, my business partner went to UMass. Uh, and he, we did not know each other when, when we were there, although we were there around the same time. Uh, and there's a group from UMass called Mission Improfable that he did uh, act in, but people often cite him as being a founder of, Impro right. of Mission Improfable, <laughs> yeah. and he wasn't. You know, so yeah, it's just weird how, like, uh, credit because for you found that you did, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or because you found, and not to say again, talk about success but it's because you found success at least in other people's eyes they then started attributing things to you yeah. that just weren't true so. I, i've seen quotes by famous people that are clearly not been said by them uh, yeah but because <laughs> right, the, oh, right. yeah, steve jobs said that definitely you know that's right definitely uh, or he would have yeah <laughs> what do you think is next for so you know we have the internet and we have you know a bunch of different platforms where comedy can be seen um without going somewhere Without going yep. to the theater, yeah. And what do you think is next in terms of the improv? You know, I, I love the show. Uh, Whose line is it anyway? Which really, yep. you know, um, do you think that there there's always going to be a place for people to come into the theater to see you know live improv? Or so, what do you think is the next? Or is there going to be interaction? Are you going to start to stream things? Can you stream? You know, can it be done uh, over the internet as opposed to live? What do you think is next for improv? Man, that's a lot of questions. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What's next for improv? It's, it's yeah, one question, so, but it's well, a big think, question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the uh, I think all of that is 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 uh, available. You know, we have we do a 24 hour show to raise money uh, for charity. We do it every year in December, and so it's a 20. Literally, there are actors that act for 24 straight hours. So it gets a little insane around you know hour 18. But um, <laughs> we we have live streamed that show. Um, and got an audience for it. So, uh, you know, we did a TV show that was more written comedy than it was improv. Um, we've done a lot with the internet, even with our live shows, where we've either, um, you know, taken suggestions from the internet where we post something at the beginning of the show. They, you know, get input from on social sort of media, the, sort of on social media. Yep, yep. yep mm -hmm. Through either either Twitter or Facebook or whatever it might be, um, and gotten and then done something based off those suggestions. Um, you know, we've done things like. 
this is before when we could do this uh, and Facebook is, you know, now, now with privacy, it's tougher to tougher to do in a timely manner when you're live on stage, but we've, you know, brought up people's Facebook profiles before right. and read through it and then, <laughs> and then sort of, you know, did our version of what their life must be like, you know, so we, we're, we, we do a lot of those cross platforms. I think all of that is, is certainly available to improv and to comedy and, and people have, you know, there are YouTube stars that started as, as uh, you know, in fact, one of our, one of our biggest stars, I'm not going to say his name because he's very, very shy about it, okay. uh, but he, uh, he's a musician for us, and he's probably the biggest star that is at Improv Asylum right now, uh, but he's pretty, uh, he's pretty you know, introverted or, or doesn't love talking about it. But, but if I said what he did, you'd be like, oh, man, I know that. Um, and we'll uh, so we'll that's we'll opened up. We'll keep this steeped things, in so. mystery. That's right. Very, very mysterious. Um, well, if you know, if you know the, uh, the history of Japan, and the history of the world stuff on the, on YouTube, uh, he was involved with that. So, All right. uh, anyway, I like you've given us a clue to go and there, there's a little clue. Yeah. That's right. So, um, what about? So I think all that is open. I think for me though, there's something about that live performance. Like it's tough sometimes to stream improv live because sometimes you kind of had to be there. You know, and I think the reason why Whose Line Is It Anyway works so well and they're great at it is they're performing for the camera. So there is there is an audience there, but they're really performing for the camera, whereas a lot of shows at Improv Asylum, if we were to stream or to make that a, a, a main product, um, you'd have to, I think, perform more for the camera. Because when you're when you're watching people perform for an audience, it loses a layer of connectivity. So uh, that's the only thing I think is is uh, is tricky. But but there's something about. You know, even even in, in times of recession, we've seen our ticket sales go up because there's something about, you know, it's not that expensive a ticket. And there's something about still having connection, being in a room with people, connecting and uh, and laughing that um, that I don't think is, is going to go away anytime soon. Well, this podcast is all about connecting in case you're wondering. So it's perfect. Yeah, well, there you go. What about what's next for Mr. Chet Harding? Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I, I, you know, that's since, good. Since, that, was since, a, that was a great reaction. I'll give right? you a chance to think about it. So <laughs> since, you know, you, you talked about the fact that the Improv Asylum can kind of not operate on its own, it might give yep. you the opportunity to, to pursue something different, new, exciting. Have you thought about what you might do? Yeah, I think, you know, we continue to move ahead with some of the corporate training stuff, which keeps evolving. Uh, so I think that'll still be part of what I do. Um, we have done things along the way that have been branching out. So we did, we did have a theater in Dublin for a while over in Ireland. Uh, and, and again, because we didn't run the place, we kind of uh, ran into an issue of, we've certainly learned the lesson over and over again that you need to control the place that you're in. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we have looked at other, other markets. Um, I particularly think San Francisco might be something that we might look at in the next few years. Uh, we looked at it years and years ago, uh, and, but the deal wasn't quite right. So I think expansion is, is something that we'll, uh, we'll look into and that, and I would be part of that. I think also with laugh Boston, that is a standup comedy club. That's about four years old. So that was sort of a, uh, another branching out of what we do and the uh, asylum gaming and esports which we've gotten into which is a lot around i mean the esports world is just crazy big so um, tell me a bit about what that i read that and i was like i don't i know esports but i'm kind of curious about is there comedy how does the improv piece yeah in integrate with that yeah, so it's not really comedy, although we have done shows that have been themed around esports or that like we uh, we've done a, sh a show called The Show Against Humanity, which is sort of in that realm. I mean, it's Cards Against Humanity uh, is, is kind of what it was influenced by. But um, but that's a, you know, in, in the realm of sort of gaming and 
there's kind of a loose a loose connection there or at least whenever we do that like when um uh pax east comes through which is a big gaming event mm-hmm. we have events at laugh boston because it's right there by the by the convention center um and we do that show and it crushes um so but in general esports in many ways is kind of more of a pivot for us so you know we know a lot about producing live events we've produced you know thousands of shows um and a lot around connecting people you know and, and there is we have found like so we do a thing at at laugh boston on tuesday nights now because that's typically kind of a slower night if you were going to do comedy there um and we've turned it into a gaming night so where people come and we have some vr uh some virtual reality stuff there we have everything to to board games to like old classic arcade games um and people are just coming to socialize and so we really found that and and they're they're you know we're we're jamming that out every other tuesday at at laugh boston um and what we've really found is it, it, it's great. It's so much fun. And certainly if you've ever tried the VR stuff, like people are always intrigued by the VR as well as kind of the classic games. And and I think more importantly, they're there because sometimes in that gaming world, it's although they may be connecting online or, or by playing people over the Internet or whatever, um, they're not connecting live. Mm-hmm. You know, they're 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 playing from their room or from their their house or from their office or whatever. They're not really with other people. And I think we have found kind of our role in the esports realm is when we do live events where people are coming together and they're having a couple of drinks and they're socializing and fun that that again is bringing people together and really working. And then the other side of things, we know how to produce stuff. So for instance, we're, uh, we're working with a couple different companies right now, producing big events for them, um, like big tournaments and things like that. So, so that's, uh, again, it's more noticing, Hey, this is a huge area that started because one of our bartenders, we found out was a former professional call of duty player. Um, we were like, what does that mean? You know? And, <laughs> and, and then he, now he gets paid to coach people and we're like, what is that? And he's in his twenties. Wow. This is crazy. So we started sort of investigating more and more and just finding out like, man, this is uh, this is, it's, it's crazy how much, uh, how much business there is there, but just how much there, there is that uh, the people want to do with it. And we're in the business of, again, connecting people, and we do it through more through through comedy. But, um, again, for us, it seemed more of a, of a pivot to say, well, we could do the same sort of thing in terms of production capabilities and in terms of providing an environment for people to get together and socialize. We know how to do both of those things. So um, – so it's not like we're going to get in. We're, we're putting together an esports team right. or an esports league, but we have we have even talked with you know pretty big organizations about developing either an arena for them or nights for them or events for them and things like that. In fact, some of our corporate offerings because we do a lot of corporate shows too mm-hmm. uh, for comedy where we get background information on a, on a company and then weave that into the show, so it's that much funnier. Um, we now also offer a, an esports uh, event that you can do as well. So for, for, you could come to Lap te- Boston. Team pre- building kind of events. No, not so much. Not so much for training. So you know, a lot of times, a lot of, of business is just entertaining. So we also get hired like so, you know, I don't know, Genzyme might come in or whatever. And we we would find out information about the acronyms and what, you know, the CEO is always talking about or whatever. And then we just perform and we have that in the back of our heads, uh, all that information. So it becomes very, very funny. Not so funny for a, a general public show, right. but, you know, they've done a private show. And so they find it hilarious. Even so you tell her to, you know, to the audience. Exactly. So it's tailored to the audience. So we do a lot of that. That's a big part. And we travel all over the world to do that, too. But now we're finding as well, particularly at our our venue at Laugh Boston, that some companies certainly want that, what I just explained. But some companies also 
a lot of their people, whether they're you know in, in uh, IT or even not in IT, love gaming or love the idea of virtual reality or whatever. So we're also having now corporate events where people come in and they just play games. Love it. I love so, um, games. Yeah, it's great. And sounds, then sometimes sounds... they do both. Like we they do that for a couple hours and then we entertain them. So uh, with with comedy. So anyway. So you, you're expanding out into different markets and, and things that are sort of related from your production and, and things of like that. I want to ask if you had a different career. So if you weren't in the space that you're in now, you know, what career do you think you may have ended up in? Do you think you would have become a lawyer? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I was literally at U Chicago's orientation was like, mm, I don't know. This doesn't seem like it's for me. <laughs> so I, uh, I kind of I pulled the ejection button, uh, kind of at the very last minute. Um, but uh, I, I think one of the things that I, and, and I have, there are times when I've even thought about, huh, I wonder as I, as I continue to progress, do I shift gears entirely and go into, in, into something else? Um, and what I you know, designed as a major at Amherst College was environmental economics and law. And again, that's not really last minute stuff, but more, you know, a lot of the fulfillment I found in comedy is making people laugh, is bringing some joy to people in situations or maybe they're going through something where it's kind of uh, they're going through a hard time. And so we kind of provide a break from that, We've, you know, and so feeling like, OK, well, I've done something worthwhile because I'm helping to bring, uh, you know, laughter to people's lives. And so I think the other pull sometimes as well, I could have gone into environmental economics, um, into something that more on a broad global scale. Um, I could have been, you know, maybe uh, affecting, affecting change that way. And so, and, and you likely would have been the funniest person in environmental economics. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But that, the problem is, uh, they would probably think I'm just, you know, uh, that I don't know what I'm talking about if I'm trying to be too funny about it, you know? Um, so, uh, so th that could be something that I, I, I could have e either seen me going into or, you know, if I ever do a career change, which I'm not thinking of any time real soon, but, uh, I could see doing that. Gotcha. I want to ask. Can, can someone, you know, you do corporate training uh, where you use the skills of improv to help people kind of connect with each other. Do you think that uh, comedy is something that's inherent or can someone learn to be funny? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. So, uh, so we, you know, and, and beyond the corporate training, we actually have a training center where just anybody can come and take classes. And so it's kind of interesting because, you know, in, in sort of that level one of classes. So it's like an eight-week class. Um, for level one. And then if you like it and you want to go on, then there's level two and there's, there's all the way up through six levels. It kind of sounds like Scientology, doesn't it? But it's not. <laughs> uh, uh, where it's six levels and at the end of that, you would do a grad show. So there are some people that come in and some, that, you know, hey, they want to be on Saturday Night Live, they want to be on our main stage or whatever. And then there are other people that are just, oh, it's a fun hobby. And then there are other people that, you know, uh, think that it's great for their job because it'll teach them to think on their feet and be comfortable um, expressing their ideas in front of other people. So it's kind of an interesting group of people that start out there. And by the end of that year, it's always really interesting to see how far those people have progressed um, from when walking in the door to then doing a show on our stage. And it, granted, it's for friends and family, so it's a, it's a supportive audience. But um, – but you know, that's a long-winded way of saying to see that development, you can definitely learn the principles of it, and you can definitely come better and better and better at it. Now, whether or not you would then be good enough uh, to do it professionally, I think that's where some of the inherent comedic timing, what's your comedic voice, what's you, what do you know, what do you find funny, and how do you and how do you uh, develop that? That to me becomes a little bit more inherent. So I can teach you how to be a better improviser, certainly. 
and uh, people who think that, oh, I could never do that. Yeah, you can. You can, and you can have fun with it, and you can also become uh, better and better and better at it. But whether or not you're going to then go on to be able to audition for Saturday Night Live, well, that's kind of where I think some of the inherent uh, inherent uh, so qualities come through or not. If you're going to give one piece of advice, aside from taking your workshops for aspiring comedians, yep. uh, what would it be? Uh, get out there and do it. You know, whether it's, whether it's with us or someone else, um, you know, I do think classes is a great way to start. And I think so many people want to, when they're young, they just want to, you know, they just want to be famous and they want right. to have it happen now, you know. And so, uh, and, and some of it takes a little while to do. And, and uh, I think, or if it's, hey, if you find stuff funny, film it, you know, do some sketches and share it with friends or post it on YouTube and see how it does. Um, does Laugh Boston I think have it's a, the doing of it. Does Laugh Boston have an open mic night? We, uh, there are times we do, it's a little bit more structured, so it's not a complete open mic night, because our room, you know, you might consider kind of a, in the realm of comedy like an A room, so we get national touring comedians uh, coming through, as well as kind of the best local talent that and they very well may be national comedians very soon um as kind of the the features and the and the and the hosts uh and there are nights too where they, where they also headline so so we're kind of a we're not really a room uh it's like you know seats close to 300 people it's not really a get your get your sea legs room right um so uh so we have had open mic nights but it's been more with sort of qualified people that we know and have seen to sort of help them develop the next layer of, uh, of what they do. Does that make sense? So, yes. so it's more, uh, it's more part of the development process rather than I think I could do this and now I'm going to try it, you know, and there are venues for that in, in Boston, which are great. You know, those are needed, but, uh, our particular venue isn't one of those. But. I hear you. Uh, let me ask you, do you have a favorite comedian, both one that's known? And then what I'd also be interested in is, is do you have a favorite comedian that, isn't really known yet. Um, let's see. Good question. So uh, I think growing up, Steve Martin and Robin Williams were hugely influential, and I still think, you know, unfortunately Robin's not with us anymore. But uh, Steve Martin is. I, I got to see a show with him, Martin Short, recently, and just thought he's still still brilliant as is, as is Martin Short. Um, so I think those guys uh, were very influential growing up, um, and I think a lot of their comedy is the comedy is timeless. Mm. Like if you ever listen to. Uh, any of the old Steve Martin stand-up comedy albums, they're, they're a little sometimes avant-garde in, in spots, but it still holds up. You know, it's not, again, it's not like cultural references that were funny back then and, and nobody knows what you're talking about now. So I think those two guys, um, I think uh, as well, someone that now people know, but even when he was lesser known, I think Louis C.K. is very funny. And uh, I think he's a, it's great. I got a, a quick story about Louis C.K. that, cool. uh, I, I, that, that, gained more admiration for him. So I was at the Montreal Comedy Festival, which is a huge, and that's great. If you like comedy, definitely uh, people should go there to check that out in the summertime. Um, and so he dropped in as, as an unannounced guest. At this, I was kind of scouting talent at the time, so lesser known acts, but he but he got announced as a special guest and the crowd kind of went wild. But, you know, it's only like 70 people in the room, right. 100 people in the room. So, uh, but he starts telling this, you know, starts he's trying out new material. So he starts telling this thing. He's like, you know, when I was 12, we had this school dance and, and then and then talked about what he was going through and what he was thinking with the date that he had and all that. And then suddenly realized, like, it's a little some of the stuff he's talking about was a little 12 made it a little young, you know. And right. so some of the audience may have felt a little uncomfortable. So it wasn't he wasn't crushing with it. People were still laughing. But he even called out. He's like, man, I'm creeping some people out, aren't I? And, and then kind of, <laughs> you know, which was funny and sort of delved off of that. So he definitely plays and, that line plays that line 
Now, so an hour later, I go to a second show because I'm there just to show off to show off to show just to try to scout talent, see who, who might want to bring to Laugh Boston. He gets announced again at a different venue. I was like, oh, man, this is crazy. So he's following the same route I am. Uh, and so uh-huh. he gets up there and he goes, you know, when I was 15 years old, I had a school dance. And I was like, you know, and, then, and it crushed right. because what he was talking about, we all remember as being in high school or like right. that junior high, high school age, not when we were 12. So I just thought, as, man, as a father he, of 12 year old daughters, I can relate to things that I don't want to think about for at least a few years. <laughs> oh, I, know, I know I get three. I have three daughters as well. They're, they're a little younger, but I already worry about that, too. Uh, they're God they're eight, six all. and four. But they uh, yeah, I know I'm in trouble. And my, my son, I have a, a son who's 10. So uh, he's getting into that as well. But uh, but um, they're all going to be trouble uh, yeah. in, in good ways, too. Yes, but, um, definitely. But anyway, so I just thought, you know, from a. From a uh, intelligent standpoint, man, Louis C.K. was really good at reading the room, understanding what was going on, and he made and that adjusting. slight little tweak yeah. in an hour, you know, just from one show to the next. And then now he's got now he's got something that he can do, uh, you know, as part of his uh, his next comedy album or whatever. So, so I think he's great in terms of like obscure people uh, or people that you might not heard of as much. Uh, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the people that have gone through Improv Asylum, I think, are amazingly talented people. Um, there's a guy named Ryan Gall who's uh, he's on a new show with Tracy Morgan coming out. Um, that he's he's extremely funny. You know, if you ever pop on the the TV, you probably will go no longer than a show or two where you'll see him in a commercial. Um, and he, so he's a guy that's probably on the on the verge of being known, uh, but is, is very funny. Brian Gallivan uh, is a he's now a writer out in LA and has had a couple of successful shows he's written. Um, so. He's great, and he's a great performer as well. Um, but he's, uh, in terms of what he's getting paid to do now, it's more kind of uh, from a writing standpoint. Um, Lisa Sugar is this really funny woman that's part of the Groundlings now that went through our, our uh, program. I mean, I could start railing off all these names of people who have that have gone through Improv Asylum that are, they're just amazingly talented, funny people. But um, but that also reinforces the the idea of like some of those people are probably going to make it and become well known, and some aren't. You know, and some just aren't, and that's why and kind of you, going back to the idea of owning my own place is kind of more stable in, in the realm of comedy. So, let me ask you: in terms of you think some will make it and some won't, do you, have you been able to see a pattern or something that you think is the difference between those that make it and those that don't? Well, uh, you know, I think sometimes it is right place, right time for sure. But uh, I think uh, as well, the people who I think have the most tendency to make it they keep doing it they keep doing it they keep finding ways to do it they keep they manufacture their own shows their own videos their own they they're just they're they throw themselves into it whereas there are some other people uh, i've seen that are really really funny they're great and, and taking nothing away from their talent but then they maybe move to new york or la and they sort of want it to happen for themselves does that make sense? Uh, like they, they're, they're sort of waiting for something back to happen like, rather, yeah they're yeah. waiting for something to happen not being proactive like, oh or this other guy who's being proactive, I'll latch on to his show or whatever um, and, and do it that way rather than I'm out there putting in the time and, and making it happen. You know, we've had a couple folks that have been auditioned, you know, who have auditioned for things like Saturday Night Live, things for, you know, a Comedy Central audition, things like that. And the people who have done the best have prepared. You know, they've really put time in and, and thought about it and crafted it and have supported the other people there, too. They're not trying to sort of push people to the side. And then they're like, hey, I do what I do, and if they like it, I'll get cast. And if they like what you do, that's great. And, I, you know, I want I want to get it, but if I don't get it, I hope one of us gets it. Um, so and those people that have that mentality, I think, have actually done the best rather than people who have been like, well, it's got to be me, it's got to be me, it's got to be me, and I'm not going to put in the effort to actually craft something that um, 
is and, uh, and there seems to be a community. Seen. You know, I've seen some things with comedians talking about things that there is sort of a, a code or, or, or you know, sort of a, a brotherhood of comedians uh, as they go through things. Do you find that to be true? I think so, and I think that's probably even more so in improv comedy. I mean, I think in stand-up comedy, then that's where I got my start. I think people were supportive, but they didn't want you to do better than them. You know, they they want you to do well, but they don't want you to do better. Um, whereas in improv, I think it's, there's a little bit more of a team aspect sport, like a team. You know, I played a lot of team sports as well growing up. There's a little more of a we win and lose as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so certainly when we get scouts in the audience, I, I hope they notice me. But I'm not I'm not trying to go above and beyond what I would normally do to be seen. Uh, and it's funny because a lot of a lot of people who have scouted, you know, I because I own the place, I've been able to talk with them about it. I think the people who have shown through have been the people who have had the talent and they were also making everyone else look good rather than they've had the talent and they keep trying to steal that spotlight. Right. So if you could go back in time and change one decision you made, what would it be? Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a smallish one, but um, – you know, uh, when you would have we... tried out for Mr. Gads, <laughs> I would have, I would have, <laughs> and it would have failed miserably <laughs> because they're so good. See, yeah, now, now yeah, it's come so back around, exactly. I've come back around. Right. Now I'm propping them up. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an optimistic person by nature and not somebody who looks back and says, Oh, I should have. Um, I think it would have been interesting, uh, to have gone to the, uh, to see what happened at second city if I had made it, but I don't. I don't. I think the path I chose is the right one. Ultimately, um, I also think I mean, it's a smaller thing, but I think we tried to open up that theater in Dublin and just were sort of um, sensing that it might not be the right partnership, but wanting it to happen rather mm-hmm. than really, uh, really diagnosing whether or not this could happen. And we sort of got burned by it. So it's a small thing, but more. Uh, that's one that uh, that I would have changed because it, it it put a, lo- a lot of people, a lot of stress on a lot of people to make that happen. Uh, including getting visas for people and getting moving people over there and kind of doing all this stuff with people that I really like and care about, and it ultimately didn't work out that well. So, um, so that's something that I, I probably would change. Great. Okay, now I'm going to ask you what I refer to as the nine rapid Ooh, fire or hot so, or sometimes not so rapid. Uh, guests have taken a little bit longer than I thought, but being an improv person, I think you'll be fine for this. Oh, so, okay. All so right. let's start. Is it better okay. to be a planner or a doer? Uh, doer. Are you a risk taker or more risk averse? Mm, risk taker. Is it better to make connections online or offline? Uh, offline. What's more important, the journey or the destination? Uh, the journey. Name something on your bucket list. Um, going on a safari. What? what I've done it. It's awesome. Well, uh, great. What one book would you recommend to help people be more successful? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, since I referred to him before, Mick Napier. He wrote a book called Improvisation. Great. Name one of your favorite movies. Uh, you know, I, I, the knee-jerk reaction is always Fletch because it, it, was, uh, it helped uh, define uh, yeah. what my childhood was like and stuff that I still quote. So I'll, I'll stick with it. Fantastic. What would be the title of your autobiography? Uh... <laughs> Um, still working it out. Still working. Finally, if you could be credited with inventing something, what would it be and why? Hmm. 
Oh boy, that's a good. Damn, you see now? Now I felt like I was on a rapid fire yeah, path, and now this is where I slow down. Slow down for the last. Yeah, slow down a little bit. Um, I think it would be uh probably something in the improv realm of a technique to get people past uh past their fears. A fear. So um, fear buster. A fear buster, yeah. If I could develop a fear buster, uh, which to some extent I've I've helped actors with that, um, with the idea of not being afraid to look bad. So. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank you in general for uh, giving us your time. I want to give you an opportunity to promote anything that you want to share uh, and also ask how people can find you online, social media, etc. cetera. Uh, is there anything in particular you want, want to share with the audience and, and then how do we find you? Um, you know, I, I just think, you know, I love the idea of the, of the, even the theme of the podcast around, around connecting. And I think particularly with the way things are going now, uh, you know, we even talked about live audiences and something like that. I think, continuing to connect is important, you know, and, and I get the, I get the chance to do it because I get to interact with people and audiences all the time. And there's something magical about those connections. And that's why I also said, I think it's better to do it offline because it's, it's, it's kind of fun to read and see people's reactions and, and, uh, and be with them. So that's kind of my, sort of the last thing I'd say about that. But in terms of, uh, in terms of finding us, uh, improv asylum, uh, com is a great place to go, which is just improv. So it's, uh, I M P R O V and then asylum. Uh, so A S Y L U M.com. Uh, we also have LaughBoston.com and asylum gaming and esports. So that's kind of where you find everything, all the different things that we do. Uh, and then the final one around the corporate training, because I know we talked about that, is we do have a site called IA, so it's kind of stands for Improv Asylum, IAInnovation.com, uh, and that, and that kind of goes through all of the, the crazy stuff that we do all around the world. Great. I'll make sure we have those on the show notes so people can access yeah, the wealth great. of information. Chet, thank you again very much. I really appreciate it all, and thank you for helping us connect the dots. All right. Thanks. Hey there, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for giving me your attention. I appreciate your time. And if you made it this far to this outro, that means you may have listened to the whole podcast, which is awesome. My hope is you got some value, some little nugget out of this piece of edutainment. If so, I'd be very grateful if you would subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a glowing review, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. You can visit our website, Nine Dots Podcasts, for all the deep, rich content. Thanks again for helping me connect the dots.